many learned something? Wow, that was, I feel like I'm going to history class, and that's good history. How, it, how many had ever heard of George Lyle? How many know that those who are famous in People magazine may not be very famous in heaven? And those who may not be very famous in People magazine or never make it will be incredibly famous, are incredibly famous in heaven. I believe that with all my heart. And um, just as Victoria was singing this morning, I just felt like the Lord just said, there's some people here, I'm going I'm to start making some new wine in their life. And I'm really excited about what I'm going to share this morning, partly because for some of you it may not be as impactful as it has been for me to study and think and meditate about what I'm going to share with you today. Um, last week, we talked about what is, a, what is a disciple of Jesus? What does he look like? And I just want to do a quick review before we get into today's message. And we don't have to look at all the... We, we had 10 different descriptions from the text of the scriptures themselves of what a disciple looks like. The first one, and I did it kind of as an if-then statement. If you are willing to be trained and instructed like an apprentice, then you are a disciple of Jesus. If you love Jesus more than your family or anything in your life, including your own life, then you are a disciple of Jesus. Is everybody following me? If you bear your cross and follow Jesus, then you are a disciple of Jesus. If you count the cost, then you're a disciple of Jesus. If you allow Jesus' word to abide in you or dwell in you and make his home within you, then you are a disciple of Jesus. I want you to notice one thing. And if you don't do those things, maybe you're not a disciple of Jesus. And if you're not a disciple of Jesus, that's why we're talking this morning, for those of you that may not be. And number nine, I've got, if you go where Jesus directs you to go, then you're a disciple of Jesus. And then finally, if you worship Jesus, even with your struggles, you are a disciple of Jesus. Now, this week, we're going to go to the next most important subject, and it's maybe, in some respects, one of the most important subjects of my own personal life, and I think it's going to be, I hope it's one of the most important subjects for the rest of the, your lives. My subject today is intentional discipleship. Made, inspected, and de deployed. How do you make a disciple? That famous verse, go ye into all the earth and make disciples, teaching them. That was Jesus' final command, and it all started with go make disciples. So how do you make disciples? I want to start this with just a little bit of a funny story. 
Uh, at the time, it wasn't always that funny. But when you're with really good people and good friends, and, you, and uh, Brenda and I uh, got hooked, our, our sons got us hooked on backpacking uh, in middle age, and we decided to become backpackers, and we enjoy taking, uh, you know, loading up and going up on the Appalachian Trail or the Shining Rock Wilderness or Cold Mountain. Some people, there's a movie based on that. Uh, we love those spots. Uh, I've actually never been to the top of Cold Mountain, and there's a reason for that. I couldn't quite make it. But the, the, the point is, we decided to go backpacking in this new area we'd never been before, and I had a really gee whiz, shiny GPS. Uh, do we have any of those pictures up yet? Let, let, let's show some of the crew that came. Yeah, there's, there's Daniel and Brenda. That's our son and uh, uh, Brenda. So we, we're, we're, we're uh, all geared up, ready to go. You can see it's kind of wet and rainy, and, we're, and they're standing in the middle of the river, and I'm getting to that point. And uh, then there's Robin and Trish. They were part of their, our intrepid crew. And um, all of them but Daniel are in nursery, so I can probably lie, but I'm afraid they'll listen to the tape. So I'm going to have to make a true confession here. Um, the fact of the matter is, I, I'm, I'm an instrument-rated pilot. I know how to navigate in the air with an airplane. I have been highly trained in that area. That doesn't mean a daggone thing when you get to the ground. <laughs> but I had my shiny new gee whiz GPS, and we were going to go into some places that were barely hiked because we wanted to climb this mountain, and we wanted to do some really get off of the ordinary trails that normal mortals take, and we wanted to take some trails that only heroic people or insane people do. Anyway, we got lost. I mean, we got really lost, and we got so lost, we were like, is this a trail? And you know, here's the thing when you're in the woods really deep, Deer make their own trails. You know that. But they don't put chevrons. And we couldn't find the chevrons the deer trails had made. But we kept fearlessly blazing that trail because we thought it was a trail. And eventually, I'm like, I don't know where we are. I've got a GPS and I still don't know where we are. And eventually, by the grace of God, it was raining and it was getting colder. You can see on our, our uh, uh, we're all wearing our rain gear. And then there's other pictures we're even wearing more because it's getting colder and the rain is getting colder and it's coming down. It's, it's the end of October and... Uh, the, it's kind of like this is bad and we're lost and by the grace of God we look across a river and we see what looks like a path and a, a human being on it 
And so we decide that we're going to cross this river. And there is little Trish carrying her backpack and her boots because we had to cross the river. Now, the, 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 uh, para, we, got, we have a, a, a morality play here, and, and Robin analyzed it for us, but I, all I have is kind of his, his hand-drawn drawing. Do we have that yet? And I, I just want you to see, <laughs> pain and suffering is how the wrong path to get back, but you only led to sorrow, and then we got back on the right path. Okay, that's... Well, well, our core values as a church and as a movement is love God, love others, and make disciples. And here's the interesting thing. Just because you know how to function in one area doesn't mean you know how to function in the kingdom of God. And you know what? I realized after that colossal, misguided uh, near miss, being lost, and part of a greater story that makes the news an observer, uh, is that it's always good to have a guide. It's always good to have somebody that actually knows what they're doing and has done it before. It's really beneficial for us to not just do things on our own because we are so competent and we're trained as Americans to be very competent and confident. And that's what all of life is about, isn't it? And yet, I didn't learn how to fly an airplane that way. I mean, I spent hours with a guy who let me sit in the seat that's called the captain's seat from day one. But he had the very first thing he looks at me, he says, you don't want to kill yourself, do you? I said, no, sir, I don't. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, good. You do what I tell you to do, and nothing more or nothing less, and you won't kill yourself. That's how my instructions as a pilot started. And he said, and by the way, you're going to be handling this airplane the whole time from right now until I say these words, my plane. And when I say my plane, that means you let go of the rope, yoke, you take your feet off the rudders, and you let me save us both. I, that is maybe one of the best examples of discipleship I have ever experienced. I was also an athlete. I played college football. And I know what it is, means to be coached. And one of, the, one of the things that I think I want us to get into today is what is this idea of making disciples? Well, let's read a, the scripture. And I'm reading from the contemporary English version. I, I, ju I just keep loving to read different versions because they, 
I go, wow, I've never seen that before. Don't you just love it when you've read the Bible for 40? I was a born-again Christian 48 years ago last week. That was my birthday. I, I love it when I, and I know a lot of you have been Christians for 48 years, so. Okay. The next day, verse 35 of John chapter 1, let's read it. And just read it from up there because you probably don't have the contemporary English version. The next day, John was there again. This is John the Baptist. And two of his followers were with him. When he saw Jesus walking by, he said, Here is the Lamb of God. And John's two followers heard him, and they went with Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them, he asked, What do you guys want? And they answered, Rabbi, where do you live? The word rabbi means teacher. And Jesus replied, Come and see. It was already about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him and saw where he lived. So they stayed on for the rest of the day. And I just want you to, I want you to pay attention. When the Bible mentions things like four o'clock in the afternoon, it's not because the Holy Spirit didn't was looking for words to say. Okay? It's like, pay attention. It's trivia that's important. And you go, well, what does it mean? I don't know. You'll have to ask the Holy Spirit, but it's important. That's a, that's a good exegetical practice for all of you to remember. One of the two men who had heard John and had gone with Jesus was Andrew, the brother of Simon. So we know one of them was Andrew. Who was the other one? Well, most people, John was very demurring to talk a lot about himself, except how much he was loved by Jesus more than most, and he was closer. That was the only time he ever talked about himself that way. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother and tell him. Now, I want you to just watch. Watch all these people names and these interactions. We found the Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah means the same as the Greek word Christ. Andrew brought his brother to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas. This name can be translated as Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. There he met Philip, who was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Are you noticing? This is like a shaggy dog story. It's like, yeah, and I saw so-and-so, and I saw so-and-so, and we're not, we, go, we don't know so-and-so. Sometimes this is the way the, the, the story goes. But there's details here that are really important. And Jesus said to Philip, come with me. Philip then found Nathanael and said, we found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. He is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Think of that town you most don't want to live in? Philip answered, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said, here's a true descendant of our ancestor Israel, and he isn't deceitful. You know, Jesus really respected someone who had good appraisal values. And I think that probably was Jesus saying, I don't disagree with you all that much about Nazareth. How do you know about me, Nathanael said. Jesus answered, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. 
Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Did you believe me just because I said that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see something even greater. I tell you for certain that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up and coming down on the Son of Man. Uh, which was a direct quote of, from the book of Daniel about the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man sitting next to him. So this is Jesus' declaration. Anybody that was a Jew knew what that was about. Jesus was saying that he was God, a very God. A, uh, there's a church called uh, Long Hollow Church in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a Baptist church. Uh, they had, a few years ago, they've had like year after year, like a thousand baptisms. It's amazing, amazing evangelistic church. And, uh, but what they were also noticing is that they were having almost no retention of those baptisms. And so they begin to ask this question, how do we, how do we, we preach in the gospel, we're seeing people say yes to Jesus and even get baptized, but somehow that's not good enough. And in where I'm from, which is also Tennessee, we don't say long hollow. We say long holler. It's long holler Baptist church. And over there in long holler Baptist church, they were trying to cipher this thing out. And so they decided that the key to the, the answer was discipleship, except the problem was nobody actually knew how to do it. You remember last week I said something to the effect that one of my mentors said, no one has ever been discipled from a pulpit. Now, here's, the, here's my caution to you. No one's ever been discipled from a pulpit, but that doesn't mean that what I'm doing here or what other people do here is not important. But it's, it's kind of like the difference between some of the hard sciences and some of the humanities. You know, when I was a chemical engineering major, I had a three-hour course, and I'd have another three-hour course, and then I'd have another three-hour course. But then every single week, I would have a six-hour lab. And you know what my lab was? That was teaching me how to do everything I'd been getting the lecture and the theory on. And in, in the church, what we've kind of done is we've dropped the labs. You remember last week, the Holiday Inn Express, the guy who was the surgeon, and he goes, well, you're not Dr. So-and-so. He said, no, but I slept at a Holiday Inn Express last week. And the point was, you don't get to be a surgeon by sleeping at the Holiday Inn Express, as funny as that is. But the same attitude sometimes is, if I come on Sunday morning, that's sufficient for me to become a disciple of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you it's not. It's just one of the many things you need in your life to become a disciple of Jesus. <coughs> Is everybody tracking with me here? So they hired this pastor who actually had been discipled by somebody uh, and he understood what discipleship was all about. He'd come out of a really bad drug habit and uh, heroin addiction and all kinds of stuff. 
And so his, uh, his deal was, I, I don't know how to do a lot of things, but I don't know how to make disciples, and that's just what we're going to be. We're going to become a disciple-making church. Don't want to stop doing the great evangelism. Don't want to do all, stop all these other things, but we're going to start making disciples. Now, what was interesting, he and a, a small group of the staff began to do this, and they were, went to the Southern Baptist Convention because they had a theory that this was not uncommon, that people actually don't know how to make disciples. So they were, they, anybody know who Lifeway Bookstores is? That's the big bookstore. Uh, they, most of them have retail stores have all closed, but that is the Southern Baptist Convention main uh, bookstore. Their booth was right outside that, and everybody was going into the bookstore. So they did this survey, and they did 50 senior pastors, and they asked this question, do you have a comprehensive strategy for making disciples in your church? Guess what the answer was? How many of those 50 pastors said they had a comprehensive strategy? Zero. One pastor had done an exhaustive study to figure out how little discipleship was actually taking place. And he said, but we still don't know where to go from there. And the reason they were doing the study is because since 1996 to 2016, 7 million people had been baptized in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm not picking on the Southern Baptists. I've just got their numbers, and we, we, we come out of that background and that history, so a lot of us have those kind of uh, history. But the point is, every denomination is experiencing this. And what they did is they said, well, theoretically, even with folks dying off in that 20 years, the, the convention, the number of members should have been increased by this much. And what they actually found was it was decreased. And so... They, the question is, why? What is going on here? And the, the real conclusion has, has been because we've kind of ignored the main assignment. We haven't truly understood how to do the main assignment. We've assumed that watching videos on how to fly an airplane is the way you fly an airplane. And in a way, what I'm doing right now is like watching the video of how to fly an airplane. But can I just tell you, I will never fly an airplane with you if that's all you've ever done. I'll fly it with you, but I'll fly it, not you. How about that? My plane. <laughs> That's the way it would be. So, part of what I think I want to do is get into how do you make disciples? And this, this may end up being more than we can cover today, and that's going to be fine. We'll just keep on, because this is the purpose of this church. I've said this a number of times. I'm going to keep saying it till you actually believe it. I don't really know how to build a church that has 
200 people in it or 500 people in it or 1,000 people in it or 2,000 or 5,000. But I do know how to make disciples, and I do know how that if you do that, it'll exceed all of those numbers uh, throughout eternity, by the way. Well, first of all, let me write down my very first principle of how you make disciples. Disciples are made in an intentional partnership. Disciples are made in an intentional partnership. It's not haphazard. There's a plan. There's a way to do it. There is a, there is a can I dare say, a program? Can I dare say, a process? Can I dare say, a methodology? Those are not dirty words, by the way. And trust me, I've been involved in the organic church movement, so I get organic, which doesn't mean anything really. It's just a nice euphemism for hopefully authentic. But authenticity doesn't guarantee that you're going to actually pr prove to have disciples. You might have people that feel better about their church experience, but it doesn't mean they're disciples. So what's the partnership? Well, the first one is with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, when we, this is kind of the conundrum. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, right? He was telling men to make disciples for him. Those guys were left with a task that they had not actually experienced. Because they had Jesus turn them into disciples, and now they were supposed to do something that they actually hadn't experienced because they had the master himself. And guess what? Well, you know, I don't make a disciple of anybody. I just, uh, well, then you're not a disciple maker. That false humility has gotten the church in so much trouble because we actually have an assignment to be disciple makers. We have, but if we've never been discipled, it's kind of like orphans. Orphans can look really healthy. They can converse. They, they have all the characteristics, but they've actually never been parented, or very often they have. And sometimes it makes it very hard for them to understand how to parent. And for those of you that are orphans and you're parenting, that, that, that's not a, a statement against you. It's just saying you have a challenge. And I believe the American church probably is more like that than a well-raised child that's been raised properly. And so guess what? We're going to have some catching up to do. Is this making sense to you? What, what, I, what I'm trying to also point out here is this. It's not entirely intuitive on what and how you make disciples. How many have grandchildren in this room? Okay, we've got a few grandparents here, okay? How many look at those that are raising children that are about this big and go, whew, 
I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Do I see that hand? Okay. <laughs> okay. If you're, really, if you're really being honest. Now, what, here's what we know, is that raising children is messy. And it doesn't stop just because you want it to. How many of you just want to be like the guy in the wrestling ring and get tagged out and somebody else take care of this kid? (laughs) All right. There's a lot of us that know that experience. Well, you know, an interesting thing about the, the, the numbers are this. 85% of the children that are raised in church-going homes don't follow Jesus after they leave home. And that's not because the parents are waking up every day and say, I want to be the worst parent and I want all my kids to go to hell. That's not what's happening. It may be because they don't know how to make disciples. Because for you moms that are staying home with your children and you dads that are with these little ones, your number one assignment is to disciple your children so that they fall in love with Jesus. And how many of us know what is taught is not what's caught? What is caught? What you do, what you demonstrate, what you model. If the first thing you do in the morning is check your iPhone and listen to Good Morning America and (coughs) seek to know what the world thinks about everything, then why do you think your kids are going to want to seek the Lord every morning early on? Because you haven't been discipled right. You haven't had somebody say, well, you can't do that. My plane. Here, come over here. I'm going to show you how to have a quiet time. And as I like to say, you come see my quiet time, it's going to be noisy. But I will demonstrate it. I will model it for you. And then I'm going to start following up with you and inspect the work. Disciples are made in partnership with the local church. Most discipleship technology, if you will, has been advanced through parachurch organizations because we haven't been taught that that's actually our job. That's not our job, number one. Our job, number one, is to have a nice service that that you enjoy the singing and you hope the preacher isn't too boring. And you check your box that says, well, I did my Christian service this week. And then finally, you have to partner. The Holy disciples are made in intentional partnership with a disciple maker who has been discipled. Who discipled you? If you can't answer that question, you probably have never been discipled. I thought I was going to get through about three or four points this morning. I've gotten through my first point. 
I want to interview Brad Jackson for a minute. I want to give an example of what I think I'm talking about, and I, I want to, we're going to have a really candid conversation. Where's that microphone? Oh, there it is. Okay. All right, Brad, come on up here. Yeah, come on up here, Brad. This is, a, this is a brother who is a disciple, and he's making disciples. And uh, I just want to, we, we, the first time he ever kind of told me his story, I was just so impressed by some of the things he shared. And I was also sad about some of the things he shared. So, you know, were you raised a Christian? I was. Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, you could say that. You, I, could say, you, I could say that. You went to church as a kid? Yeah, every Sunday morning. Every Sunday. And uh, did your life uh, look Christ-like? No, 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 no. Nope. Not at all? Not at all. So? Well, I mean, out in public, a little bit, yeah. Out in public? Yeah. You, did, you, didn't, you didn't swear too much? No, I didn't swear at all. Okay, you didn't swear at all, but I, I look good in public. You look good in there. public. Yeah, yeah. But you, 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 I take it you weren't discipled. No. Mm -mm. So nobody had ever actually told you how to be like Christ. No, not at all. Even though you, but you went every Sunday, right? Correct. Okay, yeah. right. just wanted to clarify that. Uh, had you received a lot of teaching and preaching? Yeah, I gr I grew up in a big church that preaching the preaching was awesome great personality uh the preacher i i remember being amazed how well he could speak and and uh entertain teach yeah but that didn't turn you into a christ-like follower of jesus no so so uh, what caused you to want to be a disciple mm. That's a long story. I'll be really qu as quick as possible because it's important. So 18, um, so in high school I was drugs, alcohol, chasing women, uh, athlete, at, you know, most popular, blah, 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 blah. And uh, wasn't fulfilling, and at 18 I just... Uh, had an encounter with the Lord in my bedroom, started crying, started reading the Bible. This was right before senior graduation and, and uh, didn't go to the graduation parties, which my friends were calling me, where are you at? You're the life of the part. We need you here. Canceled Cancun trip, the senior Cancun trip where we all go to party. Um, didn't go to that. Um, read the Bible all summer. Um, just... Uh, wanted to follow Jesus, wanted okay. to get right. And uh, fast forward to getting married to my lovely wife at 22 and uh, um, gripped with all those things still, sexual immorality, lying, cheating, deceiving, greed, you name it. I was, I was gripped with it and still gripped with it. And, um, and at... Uh, Fast forward to had my first son at uh, 23 and a half, 
and when uh, still gripped, was gripped with porn, was gripped with all of it. And uh, at 25, you know, um, 25 and a half, um, had um, an incident, unfaithful um, incident with, uh, um, with someone and uh, told Elizabeth the next day and uh, was bawling um, and couldn't believe it and uh, left on the brink of divorce. I'm laying in my room, crying, bawling, asking Jesus for help. Uh, felt the tangible presence of the Lord picking me up, literally. And, um, and then I remember him speaking, it's going to be all right. I'm going to help you. And I remember saying to him that no matter if I stay married or I don't, or I see my kids every weekend or they come back, I remember I told, I said, I'm following you. No longer is my identity going to be in sexual stuff or even marriage, having kids, having a good wife that looks good, good kids, you know, business, whatever. My identity is going to be in Christ Jesus, and I need your help, though. And so the next day, my, uh, my father-in-law introduced me to a pastor um, in Charlotte. And uh, he didn't say these words, but he's going to help you. He didn't say disciple you. He said he's going to help you. And, uh, and I, I thought to myself, you know, is there nobody here that can do that? Um, but anyway, that's, that's how it was. And so I literally drove down to Charlotte every week and got discipled by Cliff Maynard, this pastor who became a businessman. And... Uh, Man, it was amazing. Um, it, it lasted for about five months, and he, yeah. So, did he do more than just teach you? He, he did. What, what did he do? He, uh, he got this book out, Training Faithful Men. It was an old-timey book. It must have been from the 60s, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was awesome. And yeah, so, this one's at least 2,000 years old. I know, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so anyway, he went through chapter, chapter with me, all biblical. I remember he would, he would write this, he, uh, the first thing, he'd write this picture out with a bunch of weeds and draw me in those weeds. Here, here's what your life looks like. I'm going to teach you how to have this picture. And he wrote another picture with no weeds, sun shining, all this kind of stuff, and it, I still remember it to this day. And he described how he's going to do that, and uh, um, he did it. So uh, I remember the first thing: memorize Psalms one, memorize Romans six through eight. Um, oh, he know. made you memorize all those scripture verses. He did. You didn't have any of that. I don't. Either? I don't. I think I almost did. I don't know if I could do it word by word, but I almost did. And he goes one by one. We're going to chop off these heads of the enemy, yeah. these, these heads of the flesh, and one by one, sexual immorality, greed, um, selfishness, um, lack of identity, every, we're, going to, we're going to slash every one of them off by the sword of the Spirit and by the Word of God. So. Well, 
Now, let me ask you this. That's an amazing story. Did he teach you to become a disciple maker? Yeah. When you, yeah. I, I don't think he did. Not, not intentionally. Um, but whatever, whatever I got, I was at least able to go back and, and really disciple my kids. And so, um, yeah, but, but no. But not, answer, but not, no. no. Let's give it up. Thanks, Brad. The things you have heard from me, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, or is it 1 Timothy 2.2? 2 okay. I know the verse. Maybe not the reference. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach faithful men who will teach others also. Paul had a... The word disciple, as I said last week, is mentioned, or a form of it, is mentioned 269 times in the Bible. It's a lot more than the word teach. Anybody in this room read... The King James Version only in here. I mean, anybody, that's, the, that's just your Bible. Anybody? Nobody's like that? I've got one. Got one person, King James Version. The King James Version of the Bible says this. Go into all the earth and teach all nations. It's actually a mistranslation. I think the King James is wonderful, but they made a mistake. And every modern translation says, go into all the earth, making disciples, teaching them. The, the point is, for 500 years almost, the church has thought that the way we make disciples is we, we, we do, we have a lot of preaching. We have a lot of uh, Bible schools and seminaries. And, all, and please, if you hear this wrong, you're not getting what I'm talking about. You need the instruction. You need all those things. It's critically important. It's just not sufficient. You need a laboratory and you need somebody that knows how to do the experiment without blowing you up or themselves. Somebody that knows how to take you in and sit down with you and train you. And it's the, it's the, let's, can we all agree that the process to where we give birth to children or cause them to be conceived, I'm trying to be careful here, is more fun than raising them. Okay, there's not near the expenditure of time. If you're not getting this, then, well, you're too young. Uh, but the effort of actually forming a human being that when you release them at 18 years old, they're actually a benefit to the culture instead of a detriment. That takes an enormous amount of time. 
That's why Paul constantly admonishes us to be patient with the flock of God. But can I just tell you, and this is a, this is a confession to you as, your, as, as one of your pastors, and this is this. I am doubly committed to discipling this church and making sure that every single person not only is discipled, but is discipling someone. If you can't, and and let me just say this, 95% of all born-again Christians that, that claim they've been born again have never, ever led anyone to Jesus Christ. Much less made a disciple. And my goal is nothing less than for you to be a disciple maker. So next week we're going to get into part two of intentionality, how to make disciples. And uh, maybe I'll get past point one. Okay. I believe there may be some people here that have really despaired in their Christian walk. Not unlike the Brad Jacksons of the world who, in attending church, and look, I, please don't hear me. Look, there were, there were millions of Europeans that were going every Sunday that had a heart to know God. And there was this monk by the name of Martin Luther said, wait a minute, if you want a relationship with God, you have to exercise faith. And that That message alone is incredible. It's kind of like somebody going, you see that little metal thing? You stick it in that hole and it turns on the engine. But how many of you know that's not why you have the key? It's to turn on the engine. Wow, that's really really loud. Faith is just step one. There is so much more that God has intended for us. And every single one of us should, our hearts should be filled with hope that I too can make disciples and turn people into people that start looking a lot like Jesus. Let's all stand up. I want to invite you, if you've never considered that, boy, I could be a disciple maker, or maybe that's, they, maybe that's my assignment in life. Uh, by the way, if you are a disciple of Jesus, that is your assignment. That's absolutely your assignment. So if you would like, let's bow our heads. I just want to have a time of consecration because I believe all of you are really hungry and thirsty. But if you would say, I've never made a disciple, but I want to make a disciple, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to let let the Lord see your hand. Say, I want to be a disciple that makes disciples. Now, for those of you that raised your hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Lord, I want you to teach me. And then I also want to find somebody that will disciple me. 
We're going to continue to use the text in John 1 to, to talk about how you find a disciple maker and how you become a disciple maker. Lord, I pray for every person here that has lifted their hands and said, I want to be a disciple and I want to be a disciple maker. Lord, I thank you that this is a message that's spreading throughout the body of Christ all over the world. That the process of discipleship is a whole lot more extensive than we ever thought. And that is what the purpose of the church is, is to make disciples. Father, we ask that this morning you would just um, seal this word in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as, as leaders to know how to activate people and help them funnel into disciple-making relationships.